Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. Except for this week, because, you know, every now and then we like to talk about a, a little TV on this podcast. And with fall TV really in full swing now, decided to have two special guests on to discuss some of the hottest shows that people are talking about right now, including the Netflix series The Queen's Gambit, HBO's miniseries The Undoing, and little baby Yoda himself. That's right. We're going to talk about The Mandalorian. So gear up as we take a dive into three of the most popular shows of the fall season. All right, I want to welcome for his first ever appearance on the latest uh, old friend of mine, TV connoisseur, former podcast co-host, Mark Marusis. Welcome to the the new podcast. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm excited. Love your stuff. Big fan. Yeah, you've just you've been a big fan for since we started living together. Day yeah, one in before, <laughs> before the recording started. Before the recording started, back when uh, podcasting was just you and I talking on a couch about whatever we just watched on television, which is what we're going to do today, yes. except with microphones. <laughs> uh, Mark, God, the Queen's Gambit is good. It's so good. God, it's good. Is is this the is this the show of the year? I guess I guess that's how I should start us off. Do you think this is like the the signature TV show of the year because I do not know a single person who has watched this that has not immediately been like, yeah, that's 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 it. Maybe Better Call. I know you're not as big of a Better Call Saul person as I am. I don't even know if you've like kept up with that show, but that's maybe the only other thing from what I've seen this year that would maybe even come close. So I'm saving Better Call Saul for uh, the second quarantine. It's coming. Um <laughs> Jeez. No, but uh, <laughs> I I think Better Call Saul, like uh, critically, probably might be number one show of the year. Yeah. Um, but like popularity, I would say it's either Queen's Gambit or The Boys. Oh, okay. I I have not seen The Boys. Should I be watching that? If you like gory things, then yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't. It's very uh. I don't know that that's selling it for me, but... I don't think you would like it. And that's okay. why I think uh, The Queen's Gambit probably is going to reach a larger audience. Yeah, I mean, I will say, how did you first come across this? Because I, I saw it was like in the number one spot on Netflix, and my girlfriend and I were looking for something to watch and neither of us are like big chess players and we were just sort of like, I don't know if chess is really the the most kind of electric thing to watch um but i i just like slowly through word of mouth heard rumblings from people um online and on social media just kind of pointing out like oh no that the show this show is actually crazy good um and it might be the the best show of the the fall season um and so we we fired it up and within like three nights we had watched the entire thing um which I mean, it's it's only seven episodes, but it's it's super addictive. Like I, it it kind of fits. Um, I don't know. It, it it is that kind of ideal Netflix show of like, it's like crack, and like after one episode, you just kind of want to 
devour another one and before you know you've de- viewed like three or four of them in one evening yeah so i think i finished it in three sittings as well it was just honestly it was over and i was like all right one more episode and i was just like there's no more episodes I'm devastated i feel like they could have just kept going i don't even i don't even know why it was so addicting honestly it was just but yeah i found i came across it because it was number one on netflix and typically if something isn't like reality tv or like a teen movie tv show mm-hmm. i'll check it out on netflix yeah i i think kind of getting into what i think the show is it makes the show so good um and should mention for anyone who isn't aware it's uh about a, a child chess prodigy in the 1960s played by anya taylor joy who's uh, a young actress that i'm i'm sure a, a lot of people might have seen and stuff like she's in a lot of horror movies um yep. like the witch and was in a couple of the um the like Shyamalan what what are we calling uh, the, that trilogy of movies the like is it the glass expanded the universe? Glass universe the unbreakable expanded universe Dude. I I've thought she was really good for a long time I don't know about you i the first time I probably saw her was in the witch and I've always thought she was good um she was in did you I, I forget did you text me and say that you watched the the new version of Emma that she yep. was in this year, which is a movie I do not like, but I thought she was, it was really good in top 10 most boring movies with great acting of all time. And uh, so I, I've, I've been kind of waiting for her to get kind of a big, big, big meaty part for her to really sink her teeth into. And I think she gets it in the show, but I, aside from just what a, just like electrifying movie star performance she gives here. It's, it's just one of those great shows where you really feel like every single little piece is so precisely considered and down to from the, the writing to the production design and the directing just every little department is kind of so in sync with each other. And every single little decision feels so thought out and, is executed to just such a high level um i don't know what what to you kind of like makes the show kind of pop off so it kind of felt like a very like character driven show except i only wanted to hang out with one character kind of thing Mm -hmm. um the set design itself alone was truly awesome um and i just she's just wanted more and more i don't understand i can't like put my finger on it i mean this is like a true uh hero's journey kind of like tv show except you know the issues are alcohol and substance abuse yeah it it is i i think that's a good um a good assessment because i i do think it the sort of beats of it once once you get to i think the full ending like it it pretty much goes through uh i, I don't know it feels very it, what the contrarian in me could say that like oh it gets very sort of like typical sports movie clichés kind of in its its back third but i think even then becomes a really insightful uh 
story about addiction and is really attuned to kind of why addiction sort of take over people's lives and the sort of slippery slope of that. I mean, something down to like the there's the the sequence, I believe it's in Paris where um, the main character that Anya Taylor-Joy is playing is, is at a bar and just that idea of like the one drink that like she can't just have one drink. She like takes one drink and then like the next thing we see is she's like waking up blacked out on the morning of her big chess match and has had this all night bender. Um, and I don't, I don't know. Off d- with tranquilizer pills. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it. I think that's just a testament to, I think how extraordinarily well-directed um, and kind of well-acted all around it. Just smart. This show is about so many different things. I mean, I, I don't think it's quite, um, revolutionary as a tv series but i think is just kind of like uh you know a a a sports if we can call chess a sport for lack of a better word tv series just executed kind of at the highest level um i would also say if you're missing kind of like that 60s uh history from (laughs) mad men and that that kind of style and aesthetic um this is also another great show to dive into what what's kind of i want to really talk to you about anya taylor joy um had you ever seen her in anything else I, i'm sure you've seen you're such a big horror connoisseur that i assume you'd seen her in like a bunch of the other horror stuff yeah so i saw her in which um was it unbreakable uh is it unbreakable no yes 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 with all the personalities i'm gonna look it up because i get it i like get it confused all the time but keep going. <laughs> okay, so I saw her in that. I saw her in Emma. I feel like I've seen her in other things and I probably have and just not acknowledge it. I feel like she definitely has changed her hair color in the past few years. And that may mm-hmm. be what's doing it like differently for me, like not recognizing her and like her older stuff. But I mean, I think she's amazing. I mean, she's captivating in this TV show. Like, By the way, Unbreakable. That, it is that Unbreakable? That is correct. <laughs> it is. Un- I get it so confused there because there's that Angelina Jolie that that movie Angelina Jolie directed that's called Unbroken and I always get those two confused yep. with About each the other. POW. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A, a movie that does not exist. Angelina Jolie <laughs> directed that? Yes. The more you know. And it came out and no one ever talks about it anymore. Mm, I'm pretty sure I saw it and we don't have to talk about it. <laughs> um but yeah, I I think she there's something about her that is just so captivating i did the the remark i made to my girlfriend when we kind of finished the series was i i think anya taylor joy can do more with just like a glance than i think and and just sort of like with her eyes than most actors can probably do with their entire bodies of just i'm i'm always just sort of amazed at kind of like you the levels of kind of complexity and thought that's going on that she is able to just sort of convey with just the slightest twitch of her mouth or the slightest kind of like roll of her eye or it, it's not even big gestures like that it's just sort of like the way she kind of like scans the room and you're able to just sort of understand everything that's going through that character's mind and that that's a really 
really um i think kind of powerful movie star skill to have um and and i i really hope that this series kind of becomes a sort of like busting down the door to now like she's just going to be cast in a, a bunch of other stuff but um yeah i i I really wanted to talk to you about the show because i i think it's just like fantastic and uh my girlfriend and i finished it a couple nights ago and we're just like holy cow that that might be the show of the year (laughs) we'll see apparently the new season of the crown is really good but um, what is that that's like a week away yeah so the this episode is going up i i think by the time this episode goes up we will have already seen that will already have dropped on Netflix, but you and I are recording this on a 13th? Friday and yeah, Friday the 13th and the crown is coming out on the 15th. Um, so maybe we'll have a future episode on that, but for right now I would say Queens Queens Gambit definitely has the, the kind of the belt um, as far as like what the, what I feel like the big signature TV show kind of everyone's watching and everyone's checking out right now is would, would you agree? Is it no, the undoing? I, no, I 100% <laughs> agree. I feel like that is like this show right now. And I feel like as much as like The Boys and Better Call Saul was like beloved, I think mm-hmm. this has reached a larger audience. And just because yeah, of that, definitely. it's going to be enjoyed more by the masses and everything like that. And like what you're saying about her acting, the fact that like she can just the most memorable parts of the movie or the show is her just thinking and you watching her think. Mm-hmm. like the fact that she that's like the best part is pretty remarkable for an actor i feel like audience loved like the romantic idea of like substance abuse to like a degree of like highly functioning highly intelligent but still they have this demon inside them kind of thing i feel like that was very big with sharp objects too yeah and that that is something that even goes back to like like that's kind of a madman thing too you know what i mean of like yeah. Don Draper is the like talented ad executive with who looks like an astronaut, but also <laughs> is just like hobbling from one addiction to another. Um, yeah, and, and, and I guess the last thing I'll just say about Queen's Gambit is I, I've noticed that it is it doesn't seem to be it, regardless of the demographic, people seem to love the show, which is something i wasn't quite sure we were ever going to see again i remember like talking with you like after game of thrones ended and this isn't near to that level but of like i don't know if we're gonna find a show again that just like people of all kind of ages and genders and races can kind of like get equally excited about of i think like television is going to keep getting more and more niche and more and more sort of secluded into these little boxes so it's exciting to see something like this and of like uh hearing people's parents kind of getting equally excited about it as well um are you enjoying the undone (laughs) maybe that's kind of how i want to wrap this we're gonna yeah the undoing are you (laughs) 60s basement new york to modern day new york contemporary yeah yeah are you enjoying the undoing which is the the h the latest hbo miniseries that's airing starring nicole kidman and hugh grant and is like a murder mystery and amongst you know upper west side yuppies i believe is the section of new york there this is my show of the year i am in love with this show oh my god oh my god this is my crack like (laughs) 
we just talk briefly, very quickly about how HBO, you can pitch any show to HBO. And if you set it in New York, you will get it made. I, I, I convince. Okay. So convince me to love this show. Cause I, I admit that. So by the time this goes up, there'll probably be one more episode right now that we're recording. There have been three that have aired. I, I'm I'm in it for the long haul just because like the long haul is not that long. Like I think like the Queen's <laughs> it's like Gambit, five more episodes, four more yeah, episodes. like the Queen's Gambit. There's gonna be it's it's like a pretty short series. Like Queen's Gambit is seven episodes. I think this is gonna be like seven or eight. Um, so I mean like I'm my my girlfriend. I were we were committed. Like we're, we're gonna finish <laughs> it. But I I will say that like my and and I want to be clear. Like I I love Nicole Kidman. Like Nicole Kidman is great like one of our all-time great actresses can kind of can do wonders even with just like garbage she is being given um and i don't feel like she's being given a whole lot to do on this show but uh, you know she's clearly going for she has it so much to do in this show she needs to act surprised 24 7 despite having <laughs> okay, a so secret I- I need you to convince me of this show's greatness because I'm I'm three episodes in and I am sort of like my my patience is dwindling with this series. Your patience is this is like daytime soap opera with like a huge budget. This is Lifetime Network with like the biggest budget they can get. I don't there's just so many twists and turns. There's murder. There's affairs. There's Nicole Kidman. There's. Oh my god! Why am I blanking on the thing? There's a uh, Sutherland. Like I mean, I don't know what. Oh more yeah, a, a scenery Sutherland. chewing Donald Sutherland. <laughs> what more do you need, Hugh Grant? I can't even tell you something else Hugh Grant has been in, except Love Actually. Like I Paddington Two, my dog. <laughs> oh my god, that's right. You love that prison scene. It's it's great. I I need a little bit more Paddington Two in my undoing. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same universe. I hope so. <laughs> no. What if what if the way the way things are playing out on this show, like what if just like Hugh Grant just like goes to the commissary and Paddington's giving everyone <laughs> marmalade sandwiches? Jesus Christ. So you're not enjoying the show? I'm not. And and it's it's interesting because it it comes from um David E. Kelly, who kind of helped uh you know, show run Big Little Lies, which I I thought the first season of that series was was kind of what you are describing about loving about this series is I just thought that that series was like a, a fun beach read paperback novel and was just kind of pulpy and kind of fun trash and <laughs> sort of the surprise of yes. it was having this very kind of uh, emotional payoff in the ending and this very kind of like powerful plot line with the Nicole Kidman character and that show about abusive relationships. But for most of that show's run, I thought what was fun about it was just this kind of like like paperback trashiness, if that makes any sense. Yeah, of just like I mean, that rich people sleeping That's around with great. each other. And yeah. And even if the second season of that show, I think is kind of a failure, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I've been trying to think of like what clicked for me about the first season of that show. That's not clicking here. And I Resource. wonder if humor. Well, that 
I mean, Reese Reese fits into it because I think it is I'm missing a, a, a humor that was in Big Little Lies of like a, a sort of um, a kind of hysteria and a kind of uh, I don't I don't know. It's sort of like mean quippiness about that show that I'm missing here that I, I think made Big Little Lies fun while it could also deal with some like harder issues or even something like uh i forget if you and i were living together when this show came out but the the night of which yeah um you know similarly to this series the undoing at dealt with someone who may or may not have committed this grisly murder and the they did well yeah (laughs) and it's it's fine that show is like (laughs) from like five years ago it's fine but um you know like i think that show found a really um even though that show was not a fun watch i thought found a really uh smart way of winding up at a place where it was really about kind of the performative aspect of legal cases and how what what is the truth is not necessarily as important as like whatever story you're trying to tell in court and who can make the most compelling story as well as at the end of the day it doesn't matter if the Riz Ahmed character in that story you know really did kill that woman of just like he's a completely different person at the end of that show because prison life has just like transformed him and I don't know maybe we'll get Grizzly Prison Yard Hugh Grant but I don't I don't necessarily think that that's this show is kind of going for that kind of um, profundity. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get him with a like a white supremacy tattoo and a toothbrush shank going on. At least I hope not. I don't think he's going to sign up for that, honestly. That would be quite a, um, a, a last-minute readjustment. <laughs> yeah. So my biggest fear with this show is that it ends up like the night of where actually not about like this mystery mystery and it's more about you know like this is prison this is what prison's like these are real things i want i want the lifetime network with you know award-winning actors and a very large new york budget like that's what i want i want you know well, lily rabe you know she's she could be your uh, comic relief you know going forward i feel like she's gonna be a little bit more in it very very true well um Mark, thank you for taking time to stop by. I guess I'll stick with the undoing and at least one more episode. At least at least no, I'm going to I'm going to finish it. I'm going to finish it. I'm I'm going to power through. I'm I I just needed you to sort of to give me the the courage to keep going. That's that's really what I needed. Who do you um, think the killer is? Thank- Come on. Ready? 3 2 1 go. The kid the kid what the <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I, i'm 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 kidding i i don't know donald, donald sutherland seems like he's up to some nefarious that's my some nefarious shit on that show so <laughs> I, i'm not try, i'm thinking it's all some sort of elaborate plot <laughs> concocted <laughs> by him so probably is well, thank thank you again for stopping by. And if uh, if you're interested in watching The Undoing, it's airing Sundays on HBO. You can catch up on HBO Max and Queen's Gambit. Uh, the entirety is available to watch on Netflix.
All right, I want to welcome back to the podcast, uh, Film Inquiry Editor in Chief Christy Strauss. Christy, wel- welcome once again. Yeah, thank you for having time. me. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. I do not have um, jackets printed, so no, you know, reoccurring guests will get a jacket at this moment to, you know, flaunt your multiple appearances on the latest. Eventually, we'll get there. Eventually, you know, got to work it into the budget somehow. <laughs> Um, so you're, you're on this week, uh, cause you and I were emailing back and forth. And when I mentioned doing a TV episode for this week, you got really excited by the idea of the Mandalorian, which I'm, I, I, I feel like is kind of in a year where a lot of kind of big tentpole blockbusters have sort of gotten shuffled off the calendar. I, I think this is kind of our big piece of monoculture for the year. Would, would you agree with that statement? Probably. Yeah, it's it's a little sad when you say it like that, but yeah, no, it, I I would agree with that statement. Yes. Um. So may, maybe I should uh, just, you know start this out with um. I'm curious to kind of get your opinion, not just like on this show, but where you are with Star Wars, because I I need to come clearing on this podcast about something and say that that I have I have broken up with Star Wars and <laughs> that. Uh, one of my favorite YouTubers, this guy named uh, Patrick H. Willems, did a, a video last year after uh, Rise of Skywalker came out that basically literalized the statement I just made where he like literally broke up with his like VHS box set of Star Wars um, <laughs> movies at like a Brooklyn bar and then just kind of like walked out and was like, so I guess we're done. We're just going different directions. And like, I guess I feel fine. Um, that's kind of where I am where like I feel like you know without getting too much into the weeds of how politicized the the Star Wars experience has become in the last like five years I I guess I just sort of like walked out of um, Rise of Skywalker last year and was kind of like I don't know I'm kind of done with this of just sort of like it's it's very clear the path that they're going on and it's just not like where what i find interesting about star wars and yet i'm i (laughs) i feel like the mandalorian is the the sort of perfect um star wars experience for where i am in sort of my my fan journey in in this franchise what what state are you kind of in and am i sounding like a complete maniac for for leaving for leaving star wars at the 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 corner brewery and just saying you know what i i I think it's been a great ride you were really important to me through from age 10 to age 25 but i i I think it's time to leave it behind yeah no i think i think it's you don't sound crazy i think it's fair enough and i think this is a such a gigantic um you know star wars is huge and i think it's divisive a lot of people i mean i don't feel like especially with the most recent uh like you said in the last five years i think it's really divided a lot of people and it's tough to make everybody happy so i i think there's a lot of people that are leaving their vhs sets uh i'd almost jokingly say at the cantina instead of the brewery but oh there you go (laughs) um i i am still a fan i you know I have a lot of mixed feelings of late with a lot of their work, not, you know, Mandalorian, but it is something that mm-hmm. I grew up on from a very young age. I still have my VHS set. We have not broken up. I have my VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray set. I even have two Blu-ray sets because they kept coming out with new ones. But um, yeah, it's it's something that's just 
it's in me. I can't, I can't let it go that easily, but I, I was, I think it's mostly with the most recent trilogy being mm-hmm. just so jarring from one movie to another that it, yeah, it's, I, it's a lot. To, yeah, uh, I, I agree. I think without getting too much into the, the nitty gritty of those movies, like it, it seems that trilogy is going to be such a weird kind of academic text to dive into of like star wars is something that i i think holds such a such an overwhelming place in the culture that almost like i i don't think you're ever going to be able to um kind of grab hold of the the fan base and get a sort of movie or property that everyone can kind of fully get behind ever again because people's um preconceived notions about what is star wars and what is important about star wars and where the series should go on um is so divided amongst different individuals and i'm I'm almost past the point of saying like this this pathway is wrong this one's right of I, i just find it sort of like it's in this place where this especially in the movies it feels like the stakes are so high for kind of like the the demographics it needs to appeal to that there's almost it's almost impossible to create a wholly satisfying movie and so you get this like sequel trilogy where the the first movie feels like all right what if we do bring it back as like a a loving homage where every moment and every character and every story decision is sort of like purposely evoking something from the original movies and then the second film which i i personally really love uh last jedi becomes like let's hand it over to a, another filmmaker with a like very distinct kind of uh subversive take on the franchise and that proved to be very divisive and then with rise of skywalker it felt like i don't know let's just go down like star wars reddit and just like cobble together a bunch of stuff people say they want to see and then like maybe that'll make a movie right Um, throw it all together and (laughs) right it almost it it almost became like uh i i think that movie is sort of the the kind of great example of what i'm talking about of that felt like a movie where the I guess the thought process behind it became we need to create a Star Wars movie that can appeal to everyone and has like is just sort of built on these bits that individual people and individual groups want to see in a movie instead of thinking about a coherent story. Um, But that all that aside, I, I find myself really enjoying the Mandalorian experience and enjoying it as an opposite to the movies where the movies feel so high stakes in terms of, like I said, what, who they have to appeal to. Whereas the Mandalorian can kind of just be fun and is just sort of not interested in being anything other than like, yeah, kind of like cool half an hour to like 45 minutes that you get to spend every week. And I think there's something just like really enjoyable and really exciting about it. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where, where did you stand on it? You know, when it first came out, you know, I think it's just because of the fact that I'm like with new, anything new Star Wars, I'm always like, you know, skeptical. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. you know, don't break my heart. Um, so when Mandalorian first came out, I was really 
unsure about how I was going to feel about it. And then, of course, the first season other than the first episode and maybe the finale are really short. I mean, you zip through that first season like nothing. And right. especially if you binge it after. But um, I, I loved it. And I was very, you know, I think we had talked about this in an email, but it is almost like a, you know, kind of comfort food show. But it's very different. It has in a lot of ways, the feelings, and there's obviously like fanfare, you know, for anyone who loves Star Wars, just like integrated into it, but it's also kind of its own thing. And it's just really fun. Like, I, I don't know. I love everything about it. I love uh, the stylistic choices, the music, even though like some of the score is like over and over really played. It's, I still mm -hmm. love it every time. Um, and it's just, it's a great opportunity to dive into like some of because obviously Star Wars is gigantic, more so than we've ever even seen in film. I mean, this is endless potential for storytelling. And we focus in on something with the Mandalorian, obviously the culture of Mandalorians and everything. And it's just, it's a really cool rabbit hole to kind of go down. Yeah, I, I think um, another interesting description I heard of the show was kind of like a travel log where, and, and I think that's almost the perfect kind of star wars experience that i want right now which is maybe something that doesn't have to affect kind of the main chronology of movies that that holds so much baggage at this point but can kind of just explore these little pockets of the galaxies and <laughs> you know like i don't like it's a western with muppets and like <laughs> there's something kind of amazing to me about that and oh sure for sure that's the best description um, i've ever heard <laughs> and and i mean that not in a backhanded like i'm sure there's plenty of that diehard star wars fans that are going to hear this and be like wow that was really insulting but like yeah. i the things that i'm getting out of this show and i almost find it funny seeing some of the more um I don't know, kind of negative reactions, uh, negative reviews that I've read of the show where I think people are wanting it to be a bit more high stakes and wanting more of this kind of like connective tissue through line. But I'm s just sort of enjoying it in its kind of like old fashionedness. It, it I mentioned to a lot of people last year, I thought the first season really reminded me of kind of these old Western TV series that would play like when my parents were kids, you know, these shows like Bonanza or Gunsmoke or, you know, even, um, even kind of a more contemporary example would be something kind of like, <laughs> shout out to like the nineties babies out there, but something like Xenon warrior princess, there feels like a bit of that kind of like, campiness in it um or even i recently heard someone compare it to um the x-files and kind of there is this mythology that kind of connects the individual episodes and sometimes you'll get kind of a, a big kind of move the the grand story of the series along episode but a lot of it is just sort of like adventure of the week episode and just sort of fun hijinks and shenanigans and I don't know. I wanted to talk about for a minute kind of like what you think about the idea of Star Wars being this very kind of pop property, but our first Star Wars show is something that feels very, very old fashioned. It feels from like a very old fashioned cut of television. And there is something like really refreshing about it. And I think very, um, 
I don't know, just I think very smart about that pairing of having a very low stakes kind of adventure of the week episode. And it's less involved. It's less, um, I guess, involved with the like a grand mythology than it is like, here's a, a, a planet that's got some like weird Muppet creatures. And I was just sort of like, isn't that cool? And, and it, I think indulging in, I think John Favreau has been very smart to kind of indulge this show in kind of the, the base level surface pleasures of star Wars. And, and that's something I think is kind of like helping it. Um, I don't know. I think among uh, the Star Wars fan base, I think has made it probably the most wide appealing of all of these, all the kind of Disney Star Wars projects at this point. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, like I said, this this surprised me because of something that you just said with that old fashioned kind of feel. Um, and it does. It has that kind of, you know, lone, uh, you know, gunman or um, obviously bounty hunter. But you know, kind of on his own missions and, and some episodes like where he's, you know, meets up with different people and they do different things. And it's just kind of singular to that episode. But at the same time, there's the overarching narrative, which obviously all comes down to baby Yoda and, you know, getting him back to uh, his people, as you might, I guess, species. Is the best sure. Way. Yes. <laughs> the, the other Yoda folks, which, uh, I still don't know if there's like an exact uh, name. I'm sure there's that I can't think the of. Yo, but... The Yodai? Would that be the plural version <laughs> of, of them? We'll go with that. Um, but also, you know, it, it's also exciting to dive into the, uh, like like I said, the especially this season too, more with the Mandalorian um, culture as well. But I think it's just a, a really exciting way to do it. And it was surprising just for me for, for a Disney point of view because, and maybe it's, you know, Favreau's input to an extent and, and just the rest of the team that's involved on it. Um, it, it does have a different feel than other like Disney franchise movies. I mean, Star Wars franchise movies, but um, I, and that's a positive thing to me. And I actually I love that there's like I said, the, you know, obviously the longer narratives over the course of a season, but there's also like these little kind of like you might want to say like little pickles that they get into, you know, these little mm-hmm. um, missions or uh in like this season you know when he crashes the ship and stuff so it's it's a lot of fun and i think it's something that appeals which often happens with star wars for a variety of ages but some things are going to appeal more to like the adults because they're going to be paying attention to maybe more specific elements or people that are really big star wars fans are going to be noticing some of these things like even just like every time they've gone to tatooine i was like yay you know like you know little yeah. things like that but at the same time i think a younger audience could watch it and just literally be like oh baby yoda so adorable and and that's right. enough yeah and i think there's also I, I i really noticed this season especially them leaning into the kind of um adventure of the week format where it feels like each individual episode has kind of had its own cool guest cameo like timothy oliphant showing up in the pilot episode i was just like yes like yes. of course and and just having him kind of like swaggering and doing the the justified deadwood thing that he has become kind of his sort of signature calling card yeah and few um, deadwood actors actually yeah that, that's that's true and and even this um i don't know i i, I think 
you know, kind of, I know they have a couple other like big guest actors um, lined up for the rest of the season, but I, I, I have noticed that especially um, today watching the most recent episode of, Oh, th- this is another like very old TV aspect of this show is kind of like, Oh, what kind of uh, notable TV actor is going to show up for kind of a one episode guest appearance this week on the Mandalorian. Uh, ve- very similar to kind of, um for anyone who saw the tarantino movie from last year the way like leonardo dicaprio's character is just kind of guest getting a guest spot on all these different western tv series and that feels like a very similar model to what this show is doing which i find really interesting the way these tv trends are kind of just coming full circle um and and obviously like we said i i think there's something very smart about what you pointed out like this show has the the kind of deep lore that I think a lot of hardcore Star Wars fans and more adult Star Wars fans can really unpack. And I'm almost always impressed the friends of mine who are even more into Star Wars than I am or ever was can sort of pinpoint to me all these little Easter eggs that connect to this larger mythology. But there is this smart awareness of what's just appealing to this for like a kid that's just firing up Disney plus and you know, that same um, sort of pleasure that I know I got just watching the older movies with my dad and not having this mythology baggage over it and just being like, I'm, I'm in this strange alien planet and there are all these cool creatures and these just like breathtaking visuals and this like fun action story and I, I think it's smart on Favreau and the the people behind the show to kind of not lose track of of that feeling and kind of what makes Star Wars exciting for someone who's maybe never seen Star Wars before. Oh, absolutely. I remember the first time I watched those movies. Obviously, we didn't have the mythology. We didn't have all these different movies or comics or spinoffs or uh, prequels or whatever the large <laughs> uh, database that it is now and I loved it you know I loved every aspect of it and I think newer generations can can do that with newer films but also the the Mandalorian as well but it really does do a, a terrific job of kind of managing both or managing all and that's I think why this is this is so impressive to me because it really can cater to so many different audiences and it can be really smart and it can have those really cool Easter eggs. And I did love Timothy Olaf and he actually glides by the way in everything he ends his, he just always glides. <laughs> I don't even know if his feet are like normal people's feet. He just always glides into rooms, but <laughs> I, have, have you also just to like <laughs> get down to Timothy Olaf on digression. Am, am I the only one who thinks that he somehow gets more handsome as he gets older? I'm like, I, I, I agree. As soon as he popped up, I, I know we're like my, my girlfriend and I were just like, he looks better now than he like even did like when he was in uh, like his thirties or however old he was in Deadwood of like this this is ridiculous. Yeah, or like even think like in Scream Two or something like he's he's definitely oh. <laughs> like more distinguished and handsome now. I'll give that. And also, it's pretty badass when he's wearing uh, Boba Fett's you know, yes, um, armor or yeah, that was pretty cool. His suit, but um, yeah, <laughs> I'm always Team Timothy. We'll go that way. Well, before we kind of wrap up, <laughs> I know you wanted to get <laughs> dive deep into. A controversy that I was woefully unaware of because I've been 
out of the uh, the hot dumpster fire that is Twitter's in our post-election climate and uh, was totally unaware that there is a controversy surrounding Baby Yoda eating um, frog eggs in the second week's episode, alien frog eggs that belong to a just like delightfully wholesome frog muppet creature that you know the i'll I'll just say the one of of the most adorable things i've seen all week is just when that frog woman saw her frog husband in this week's episode and i was like wow just love is real it's out there yeah that was really sweet um i wouldn't say i was like excited to get to this i was just (laughs) (laughs) don't put me out there like that no i was just saying it's just uh it's caused some ruffles because you know basically they're accusing him of uh like genocide um but you know baby yoda is a baby uh he you know he constantly gets scolded in these two seasons for eating things he's not supposed to eat for doing things he's not supposed to do he actually eats a frog once and then spits a different frog out in the first season and and you know um it's i mean i think that the creators actually or someone behind it released a statement saying that they were going for kind of like a disturbing almost horror kind of comedy like humor there which is an Mm -hmm. interesting take and probably not the best one to have done but yeah a a lot of people are really upset about it and i think it's just because baby yoda is like baby yoda you know i mean it's become a thing like people that don't even watch the mandalorian literally love baby yoda like i i actually have a friend that won't watch it because she loves baby yoda and i I couldn't wrap my head around that one except for the fact that she says he's so cute it makes me want to cry so i can imagine that watching this you know creature in this uh fictional universe eat eggs of another species unknowing of what he's doing um you know i could understand how that might put you know bother some people for sure but i do think this episode today if you haven't watched it or the newest episode um you know does show that i I think he gets a little bit more awareness of like what those eggs became and i don't know just uh I think it'll help a little bit, hopefully, but yeah, I, I mean, it makes me think of, um, you know, the, the baby Yoda phenomenon as I guess I could call it is, is really interesting to me. And, and maybe this is kind of like what we could wrap up with of, I think that is sort of the signature thing of the show, whether it be just like a character or image. Um, and it, it, it strikes me as interesting just because it is so, very kind like the cynical side of my brain is like that's so very clearly like a thing designed to sell plush toys you know what i mean but of also like the other side of my brain is just like baby yoda is awesome and is adorable and is hilarious and i'm 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 almost impressed the way that like i feel like most people even being aware of like this is a thing designed to sell a toy are just sort of like, but I love it anyway. And I'm just sort of acknowledging the kind of um, the cynical sort of behind the scenes aspect of it, but also just like fully embracing it and fully loving it. And I I thought it was interesting. The reason I wanted to bring up the like controversy thing is like, do you think we're, we're going to ever reach like peak baby Yoda? Like to the point where like, there's just so much baby Yoda and everything that all of a sudden, like everyone's brains kind of like, snap and switch and then it becomes like oh this just like those those folks at disney just like ramming this thing down my throat i'm just sort of like 
just like at what point does baby yoda become baby yoda overkill because i've i've been very acutely aware of like how much more they've even just like screen time they've given that puppet while also just like eating up every moment of it and like easily like my favorite moment in every episode is pretty much just like some weird reaction that that puppet gives yeah i think it definitely could be overkill i think it's a fine line and i think that they have to be really careful with that because you know not only is the cute factor an element i think for a lot of people for me personally i also think it's like the mix of it being kind of like puppetry animatronics and then obviously Mm -hmm. there's going to be like computer generated but i think that you know, goes back to like the original Yoda um, that I loved so much when I was a kid. And also that kind of goes back to more practical effects, etc. But either way, like, I think there's just something obviously really cute, but the way that it, it doesn't look overly generated. And I love the, the relationship uh, with the child and the Mandalorian. I think that that's a really sh- mm-hmm. like strong driving point in the show because it's basically like changes his life and his perspective. So as long as they keep it in a narrative focus that works for the show and isn't just all about look at me i'm adorable they'll be okay but they definitely don't want to make every episode just about the child making weird reactions you know um or else we're gonna it's gonna get bad (laughs) maybe when that moment comes we'll get um moody teenage yoda but that might be a different show (laughs) um (laughs) like christy Yes, like Groot, exactly like Groot. <laughs> uh, Christy, thank you so much for uh, coming on the episode this week. And uh, if you want to check out The Mandalorian, it's streaming right now on Disney Plus, new episode every week. And uh, let let us know what you think of all the uh, episodes, all the different shows we talked about on um, this episode. And uh, give us recommendations of what other TV shows you're watching this fall, because there is a lot of new stuff out there, but... 